Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy, and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Mouth breathing can potentially create a myriad of problems for both children and adults. Sleep disturbances, snoring, teeth grinding, ADHD, ear infections, picky eating, speech problems, and crooked teeth have all been linked to mouth breathing. In children, it's often dismissed as a normal issue that they will eventually grow out of. But when the underlying airway problem remains untreated, this may create problems right into adulthood. To help me unpack this issue of mouth breathing, I'm joined on the ACA podcast today by Dr. Shereem Lim. Shereem will also be one of the keynote speakers at the upcoming ACA Connecting Kids Seminar in Fremantle, which never fails to be a great event. If you haven't already registered for that and thinking of going along, just go to chiropractors.org.au to register. Now, a little bit about Shireen. She is a dentist with a special interest in helping children overcome challenges with infant feeding, swallowing, breathing, chewing, and speech. She does this through a collaborative team approach uh, to tongue-tie management and promoting good oral function and good jaw development. Most of what Shireen does in practice these days was not taught to her in dental school. Instead, she's gained a knowledge by understanding different perspectives and learning from world-leading experts. And importantly, she's been kind enough to join me today on the ACA podcast to share these pearls of wisdom. Hi, Shireen. Welcome to the ACA podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Anthony. So tell us a little bit, first of all, about your professional journey and what sparked your interest in breathing and sleep. Um, I first became involved or interested in uh, breathing because of my husband's snoring. Uh, So that Uh snoring was driving me pretty crazy. And one day, out of frustration, I got up and decided to Google all about dental sleep appliances and how they could help with snoring. Uh, And I enrolled in uh, the Graduate Diploma in Dental Sleep Medicine, became one of Australia's first dentists with a qualification in this area to be able to treat adults with snoring and obstructive sleep apnea. And so what I then started to realize is that snoring is just not, not just a noise. It's actually can lead to serious health risk. Um, and it's linked to increased risk of virtually virtually every chronic health condition, whether it be ADHD symptoms in children or heart disease, strokes, cancer, dementia, uh, all these chronic health problems into adulthood. And we're not paying attention to this underlying breathing disturbance or how it impacts our sleep. And so I really wanted to be able to promote um, more awareness that we can actually modify this very early on in childhood. And that's where my interest lies. How can we get better breathing for children? I wonder, Shireen, these days, does your husband take credit for your professional development? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of his biggest gifts to me, Fantastic. funnily enough. <laughs> so, so what? just go through the mechanics of breathing through the mouth versus the nose and, and why it is so important to breathe through the nose. Well, the nose is specially designed to really slow the flow of air to make sure that we can get optimal filtration, warming and humidifying before it goes into our lungs. 
Uh, so it is really our first line of defense against allergens and, and pathogens. And in addition, when we breathe through our nose, we are going to get nitric oxide, which is produced in the paranasal sinuses. And not only is this antimicrobial, but it actually increases a, um, oxygen exchange as well. So it allows us to, to get better oxygenation throughout the whole body. But we need to pay special attention to this in childhood because when we breathe through our mouth, it affects the way our facial features grow. Mm. And those changes in the jaw structures and our facial development will negatively impact the way that we breathe later on for life. So let's stay on the childhood theme for a little bit. I guess the, the first challenge for an infant who doesn't breathe, of course, is feeding. And um, if there's issues with um, a baby being a mouth breather, obviously breastfeeding is going to be a problem. Is this when these sorts of problems are first identified or does it come on a little bit later in uh, a childhood development? Yeah, in my experience, I, I see a lot of infants. I manage a lot of them um, with have feeding problems and tongue ties. And I do think that most children can actually breathe well through their nose. Um, babies are normally born obligate nasal breathers. Uh, it's the only way that they can suck, swallow and breathe at the same time uh, through breastfeeding. Um, so more likely, rather than a child that has a true nasal obstruction, I'm going to see babies that have maybe some congestion um, or, or maybe open mouth posture low tongue and open mouth posture. So it may be more like a muscular problem or congestion rather than a very obstructive problem. Right. So I do tend to think um, it, it. I see a lot of the mouth breathing, which plays out later down the track. So you mentioned earlier, and, and I also uh, went through a bit of a list of things that are associated with mouth breathing. I'm interested, what what's the most common reason that uh, a parent might bring a child to you with concerns about mouth breathing? Is it snoring? Is it um, they've been told that they might have problems with retinoids and they're looking at other options? How does it normally play out in your practice? Yeah, so mouth breathing, I think a lot of people are mostly concerned about the impact on sleep yeah, and how that impacts a child's behaviour. So typically one of the most common presentations would be a child that has very disturbed sleep. Yeah. So for instance, when we breathe through our nose, the passage of air is going to be more smooth compared to if we breathe with our mouth open. And most people can try this by trying to snore with your mouth closed versus snoring with your mouth open. Mm. It, it's much easier to snore with the mouth open and it, it's a more unstable and collapsible airway. And so we're going to have more breathing disturbances. And so this can impact a child's restoration during sleep. Um, so we know that there is a lot of research to support that mouth breathing and snoring, they can all be linked to increased risk of behavioral and learning problems in children. So I do tend to see a lot of the, the kids and the parents that are really pulling their hair out with their children. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the time they may th say things like, my child has really poor attention and concentration, or they're really hard to manage, very poor emotional regulation. They go from zero to 100 with the most unlikely things, and they may play out with aggressive behaviours uh, and, you know, difficulties just to manage their emotions and tantrums or attention and concentration. So all these things which are very difficult for parents to manage with, a lot of the time we're overlooking that underlying breathing disturbance and how it's impacting their sleep. 
And so do you think those um, behavioral issues that you were sort of just talking about then, do you think that's related to just fatigue and lack of sleep or poor oxygenation or a combination of all the above? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different explanations for it. Um, well, one is really the disturbance in breathing um, that that's happening all night long. And it's not really allowing children to get into their deep sleep. So they may tend to be more uh, distractible or lacking in attention and those type of learning, those th things that can impact their learning. Uh, but we also know that when children have more obstructive sleep, it actually does affect their oxygenation and that brain being a very, it's in a very critical window of development during childhood. And yeah. it's very susceptible to drops in oxygenation as well. So the research supports that children who have chronic snoring, they may have changes or alterations in the gray matter, you know, in their brain. So mm. that's another way that it can be affected. And we don't know how reversible these changes are. So the best get onto it early. Um, just is there a reason why some children end up being mouth breathers versus others? Is there, is there a congenital link or, or any, uh, does it related to birth trauma or anything else that you're aware of? It can be very multifactorial for sure. There's a lot of uh, common risk factors. One of the largest studies of mouth breathing children found that the most common uh, factor was allergies. So 80% of children have allergies, which can create congestion. And they, it, they might find it harder, easier to breathe with their mouth open. And then it turns into a habit. So I do think that allergies are a very uh, important thing that we mustn't overlook. We need to make sure that children can use things like saline sprays and clear their nose and not perpetuate that mouth breathing habit. Because those allergies were a much more common finding than things like obstructive adenoids and tonsils, deviated septums. They are not as common to be the problem. They, mm. they occur much later down the track. Yeah. Also, I think it's important not to overlook the structural contribution of the no, uh, the palate or the upper yeah. jaw, because that is the floor of the nose. So when we have a narrowing of the palate, that means we're going to have much reduced airflow. Uh, we're going to have a narrower cross-section of our nasal airway, which may, means increased resistance to nasal breathing. So again, uh, it may be very subclinical, but there is some increase in resistance, making it easier to adopt that open mouth posture. And then we have the muscular factors as well. Just sometimes when there is low tone, mm, uh, yeah or reduced tongue posture, that also can contribute to mouth breathing. So it's it's very multifactorial. And where I find that I'm really interested in working with the chiropractic association, uh, profession is, yes, I think that birth traumas can create that compression um, at the base of the skull and the neck where we're going to get those um, nerves, cranial nerves impinged. And whether they affect sucking and swallowing and breathing or even the motor nerve of the tongue, if that tongue doesn't lift well and we get that lowered tongue posture, that can also perpetuate nasal, uh, mouth breathing as well. So uh, lots of different factors and often we have to, to go through and work as teams to be able to integrate care and provide the best outcomes for children. 
you've mentioned obviously there about tongue posture. I'm assuming that um, ankyloglossia or, or tongue tie might be a factor there as well. Yes. The optimal position of the tongue for good breathing is we want that entire dorsum suctioned lightly to the, the palate. And during childhood, that provides a stimulus for the palate to develop. Uh, it, it's the perfect scaffold for the, the, the upper jaw. Mm. And that upper jaw and the tongue should fit perfectly when that occurs. And when we have that good suction with that tongue resting against the palate all the way to the soft palate, we're actually blocking off mouth breathing. Mm, it's actually right. easier for air to go through the nose all the way down the throat, very smooth laminar flow. And that tongue with that really nice tone, uh, the bulk of the tongue is the genioglossus muscle, which is the main upper airway dilator muscle. It keeps the throat open during sleep. So there's lots of benefits in having a really good tongue suction to the roof of the mouth for breathing. And, and I've for had other... With the palate development and also... Uh, currently with the, the way that the throat and functions. I've spoken to uh, and done interviews, in fact, and podcasts with um, TMJ specialists before, and they've sort of talked about, you know, the, the resting position of the mouth should be lips closed, teeth slightly apart, tongue just resting lightly on the upper palate. And that sounds like what your understanding and ideal positioning is as well. Absolutely. It's, it's ideal to develop this early on in life because those Muscles provide the functional stimulus for the jaws to grow optimally, but it's also the best for airway tone, for the airway to keep open and for air to flow freely, especially yeah. during sleep. That makes a lot of sense. Um, obviously, chiropractors are often seeing young children. Um, many of them may be mouth breathers and they may have their own techniques uh, to help those people. When chiropractors are concerned or feel like they need to bring someone else into the conversation, another health practitioner, I guess uh, typically the more uh, common people that we that they would uh, refer to would be the GP, the pediatrician, or the ENT specialist. How what how what should they be thinking about in terms of incorporating someone like yourself, a, a dentist, and where would they go looking for some a dentist who really has an interest? in these types of problems? Yeah, so I think when a chiropractor looks at a child and is deciding who to refer to, if there are signs of very obstructive tonsils, for instance, uh, they are almost kissing or they're very, very bulky, or if a child has this chronic nasal obstruction, you they can't. if they were to close their mouth, they would struggle to breathe. Mm. Um, they would have great difficulty. That could be an ENT referral. You mm. could send them to an ENT. Or if you look at them and they have a high arch palate or a narrow palate, or if they have baby teeth and it looks like there's any signs of crossbite or any signs of no spacing between the baby teeth, uh, that's a sign that that jaw is not developing well because we need those spaces for all the adult teeth. So I think if we look at it from the jaw perspective and being able to help recognize these children that have poor jaw development, that could be a dentist referral yep. as well. But like you said, sometimes it's quite difficult to find dentists that are fully uh, educated in this area. So for instance, in the US, um, in 2017, I think it was, 
they, the American Dental Association issued a policy statement that said dentists should be able to screen for these issues, refer and manage those dental risk factors. Mm. Um, so there, there's a big push or big interest from dentists to learn more and to become involved in this, but maybe more difficult here. Personally, I feel very comfortable to get a patient, assess them, be able to evaluate their risk factor and refer to an ENT or start treatment here. But it is hard to find other dentists that may be able to do that for sure. Mm. Um, so let's talk about what you would actually do then with these people. Uh, you mentioned how uh, the problem often is a narrow palate. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us about, you know, is it, is it a splint that would you, you would use or, or uh, retraining in some way? What, what, what's the actual treatment if that's the problem? If it's a narrow palate, I'm looking towards palate expansion. Uh, palate expansion is using orthodontic devices uh, that, to widen the palate. And the way that it works is there's a mid-palate suture and it's not, it doesn't really start fusing appreciably until about age nine. And so if we get in young enough, what we can do is we can actually separate the suture with a gentle force applied across the palate and that will stimulate new bone in the mid-palate, which corresponds to the area of the floor of the nose. So a lot of research to support that when we do palate expansion, it's not just about making room for the teeth. We actually can remodel the nasal airway and make mm -hmm. more space for the tongue to fit. And we have little increases in palate width, which lead to exponential increases in airflow. Wow. And so when we do that, a lot of the time we can see children breathing better through their uh, nose and they've just got more room for their tongue to fit. And I, I see a lot of children that have a lot of speech concerns and they've been seeing a speech pathologist for three, four years and really not making any progress. And I think oftentimes just making more space in their mouth for their tongue allows them to actually speak better. And it's part of their, their journey to improve breathing. So I'm assuming this is just a plate that sort of hooks onto their upper teeth. And I'm, I guess my next question that follows that would be, What's the compliance like, especially with the younger kids? Yeah, it, they can actually be divided into fixed or removable. And they all have a screw mechanism in the middle of the palate where parents can turn a screw. So the fixed ones, they're cemented in place. And uh, yeah, they don't really rely on so much compliance. Yes. So that, that can be helpful if there's any concerns. Or the removable ones, I use a particular removal of full appliance and I really love it because first of all well the biggest reason is that I have a I have some wires that I can attach to it which actually move the front teeth and it, it can actually really control the whole shape of the palate not just the expansion so we can sort of take a v-shaped palate and and make it more broad and u-shaped um, so every time I adjust it I get a child in after three weeks of expansion it's easy to take out of the mouth and adjust these wires and really get a lot of good control so I really love that removable device and they come in special designs so the lab is particularly great they make it so exciting for children to be able yeah. to enjoy this process which is really important to help get them to comply but you're right I don't think that it's for everyone because there are some children that will not tolerate that as well and usually the things that I'm looking for are if they're fidgety or they don't have correct tongue placement, they're always thrusting their tongue forward. These are children that are probably going to play with the plate more, 
and give us more issues. Mm. So I wouldn't rush into one with those type of children. I would want to do things like teach them where their tongue belongs, see how mm. compliant they are, uh, various steps that I would want before I jump into treatment with those children. So obviously when the sutures open, there's plenty of room to expand the palate. Can, can you do this though for adults as well? Yeah. So when we try to put an expander in an adult in a traditional way and turn the key to expand it, because that suture is more fused and more resistant to the forces of expansion, what tends to happen is the teeth get tipped. So mm. in a way we can make more space for the tongue, but it actually tips the teeth. which is not so good for the teeth. Um, So more recently, researchers have developed new ways to get that expansion without doing such invasive surgery that was typically thought needed. Uh, So they use TADS or mini implants, which can be screwed into the bone, little screws on either side of the mid palate, and then they can put an expansion device with a screw that Uh, is supported by those mini implants, meaning that the expansion force can be placed more directly across the suture rather than transmitted across the teeth. The teeth, yeah. And so we we know that there's research to support these type of protocols to actually improve or deal with chronic nasal congestion and also to alleviate obstructive sleep apnea. And and one particular protocol that I think people should look at is uh, DOME, Distraction Osteogenesis Maxillary Expansion. Uh, That's probably the most well-studied, well-supported in the literature uh, palate expansion. Because we know that a lot of adults that have failed nasal surgery or they have persistent nasal obstruction after nasal surgery, the people that develop DOME what happened is they assessed what is the common risk factor and is it actually high and narrow palate. Right. So we could do everything, all the surgeries we want inside the nose, we can correct deviated septums and try to improve nasal airflow, but it's kind of like working in a tiny room, taking out bits of furniture or moving things around. We really Mm. need to expand that uh, room and that's what palate expansion can do. Well, hopefully there's lots of uh, ENT surgeons having good conversations with dentists like yourself um, and uh, combine the best of the two in that space. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to uh, ask you, and maybe without giving too much away about your um, husband's um, health history and uh, the outcomes, are these types of devices also typically used to, to help people with snoring? The palate expanders? Yes, the palate expanders. Yes, I, I believe that There's there's evidence to support that, but the problem is that in dental sleep medicine or what dentists get trained in to actually um, treat snoring and obstructive sleep apnea is these, they're called mandibular advancement devices or splints. Mm. And so what happens is you put them inside the mouth and they hold the lower jaw forward during sleep. Yeah. So really, we're not really addressing the palate. We're actually addressing the lower jaw. Yes. And when we bring the lower jaw forward, we actually bring the, the base of the tongue forward and we stretch the muscles of the throat. And so that can actually help stabilize the airway. Yes. But my problem with being involved in that is that we're not really necessarily providing a targeted treatment. Yes, it helps with opening the airway during sleep, but we're not helping people breathe better through their nose. Yeah. 
So sometimes I do think, uh, and, and that's my frustration and why I want to do more early intervention, is that for many people, the actual root problem is mouth breathing and mm-hmm. having a narrow palate. Yep. And when we have a narrow palate, uh, we're going to more likely have a, a recessed jaw. For instance, if we have a V-shaped narrow palate, it's like having a pointy shoe. We can't get our foot in all the way. It gets stuck. And so a lot of the time when we have recessed jaws, we also have an underdeveloped palate. Yeah. And so I think we can get closer to the root by developing the palate, making more tongue space, and improving nasal airflow. And so I guess, and chiropractors very much would, would concur with this in terms of the way you approach spinal health and well-being is, you know, the better people start thinking about and being proactive with their spinal health, uh, the better their long-term uh, prospects are going to be. And obviously the same is true with dentistry, not only in terms of your teeth health, but also with your breathing. So um, clearly you would be recommending that um, as a part of a pediatric dental checkup, that these palate issues uh, are, are addressed very early on in, in, in the picture. Absolutely, because a typical thing that can happen is parents see their crooked teeth or the crooked jaw, like the crooked teeth or the poor jaw development occurring, and then they go to an orthodontist and they might be told, okay, let's just wait till they're 12. Uh, we can take out some teeth and we'll put braces on mm. and we'll get all the teeth nice and straight, which is quite true. Um but yes, I think we need to develop those airway structures. We need to recognize that, that those jaws really are the floor of our nasal passages, passages, the space for our tongue and the support for our collapsible upper airway or throat. So we need to develop that early on in life. And I think we need to get away from treating obstructive sleep apnea, which is really the most severe breathing dysfunction. And we need to be looking at how can we promote good breathing from infancy. Yeah. And this means nasal breathing. And we really can't be overlooking the structural contribution of the palate. Mm, fascinating. Uh, look, it's been a really great chat uh, today, I must say, Shireen, and really eye-opening. Um, was there a take-home message that you think the ACA listeners should be really uh, considering uh, on this topic? Yeah, I think we need to not overlook mouth breathing as a contributor to many common issues that children have, whether it be their picky eating or their speech concerns or their chewing and swallowing uh, problems um, or ear infections, bedwetting, all these different things that can come about when the mouth is not working well and the jaw structures aren't growing well and children are not breathing and sleeping well, behavioural concerns and learning concerns and developmental delays. I think let's not overlook the importance of healthy nasal breathing and let's make sure that we're looking for that and not dismissing that and really recognizing the structural contribution of the jaws, as well as the multifactorial uh, nature of it, that we need to work integratively. Um, not, Not one profession will have all the solutions, but if we can really explore this together and work out better protocols amongst each other, I think that we will be able to serve more children well. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Shireen, it's been a great uh, chat this afternoon. I really appreciate your time on the ACA podcast and uh, sharing all your wisdom with our listeners. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to to being a part of the the next meeting coming up in a couple of weeks. Yes, and of course, that's the um, Connecting Kids seminar, which will be on in Fremantle. And if you get an opportunity, just go to chiropractors.org.au to register for that one. 
Well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence. And I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast.